Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. This is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Missy Winston Show right here on today's News Talk. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to hang out with me. Uh, so listen, I was listening to James O'Neill with the news break there, and Donald Trump <laughs> lecturing people about paying their bills made me giggle. That was hilarious. Uh, he's notorious, y'all. He's notorious for not paying his bills. I mean, that's just some funny stuff right there. I don't care who you are. Um, okay. Uh, all right. So we have a great week lined up for you this week. Um, as always, of course, uh, tonight we have Gabriel Shipton, brother of Julian Assange. Tomorrow we have Professor Danny Shaw. He was just in Haiti. Um, that is another yet another situation that seems to be boiling over uh, that is certainly not getting um, really any coverage, uh, very little, if any. Um, on Wednesday, we have Amber King from Roar Media. She's going to be in uh, London for the Julian Assange hearings on the 20th and 21st um, to cover that for Roar. Um, and so we're going to talk to her about that. Uh, Kim Staten is going to be here on Thursday. He is the director of the Trust Fall, which, uh, again, big ups to uh, TNT for uh, sponsoring the London premiere of that film. Um, that's very exciting. That's very cool. I'm very grateful to them for doing that. I'm sure uh, Stella and Julian and the whole family are also very grateful. Um, and then on Friday, we have Mohammed Almazi, who is a really fantastic independent journalist. Um, he's currently doing a lot of work for the dissenter. I think he is also going to be um, outside the courthouse in London uh, covering the hearings for the dissenter. So uh, very, I, I, he, uh, he's been on, he was on my other show uh, years ago, many times. Um, and I haven't spoken to him for a very long time. So I'm excited to have him back. So, okay. Um, real quick before we dive in and, and really get into the show. Um, so I don't know if you guys know, but last night was, last night was the Super Bowl. I did not watch. <laughs> um, I listen, I love college football. I've never been able, I've never really been able to get into professional football. There was a time when I was younger during like the Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith days of the Dallas Cowboys that I loved the Dallas Cowboys. Um, but I was like maybe in middle school. Um, and I just really have never paid much attention to the NFL. Um, so, but I don't begrudge anybody for watching the game. Um, I watch college football. I watch other things. But just as the Super Bowl was getting started and kicking off, Israel decided to launch an absolute massacre on Rafa. And I think there's no coincidence there. That's my opinion. Come for me or not. I don't care. Um, I think it was a very clearly timed and um, intentional, uh, um, intentionally scheduled attack on Rafa. Um, during the Super Bowl when nobody's paying attention. Well, most nobody in the United States, at least, is paying attention. So if you're unfamiliar with where and what Rafa is, um, it's on the border with Egypt. It is the location that Israel has been telling Palestinians to flee to for safety. Um, Israel claims, at least this is what I'm seeing so far, Israel claims that it launched this attack in order to rescue two hostages. Here's the problem with that narrative. Uh, the two hostages that they're claiming that they rescued uh, during these attacks um, were already rescued on February 2nd, according to Haaretz. Um, so once again, it seems as if, at least um, uh, currently, it seems as if Israel is lying through their teeth yet again uh, and use that as a cover to commit this unholy massacre. I mean, it, the I can't, I'm not going to describe the stuff that I've seen because it's genuinely horrific. Um, 
but you can go on social media and see uh, the pictures. Uh, there's one in, in particular that I'm thinking of that I'm sure if you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about because pretty sure the image will haunt me until I die. Um, so it's really bad. Um, the the death toll on this uh, attack is kind of tricky to nail down. Um, I've seen some reports say 60. I've seen some say 90. Others have said hundreds. As I'm sure you can imagine, it's really difficult to account for such things given the current circumstances in Rafa. So prior to October 7th, the population of Rafa was about 275,000 people. Currently, it's 1.5 million. So the unbelievable influx of human beings who have been forced into this very tiny area. I think I read one report that said it's about the size of Newark, New Jersey, uh, about half the size of San Francisco. There are 1.5 million people who are just living in tents there. So it's incredibly difficult for them to um, keep track of the numbers of people, keep um, you know a list of names and make sure everybody is accounted for and all of that stuff. So I'm not even sure that we can get an accurate death count on that. Um, it depends, I guess, on the uh, the damage caused. Um, but if you want to see what I'm talking about in terms of the population influx, Amnesty International actually just posted, um, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but I mean, it won't take long to scroll back through. Um, they, but they posted aerial uh, pictures of Rafa and you can see it's like wide open fields. And then uh, this is prior to October 7th. And now all you see is tents. It's everywhere. Tents are everywhere. Um, uh, this is, uh, this attack is, uh, once again, threatening to kick things over into hyperdrive. Uh, Egypt is now threatening to end its peace treaty with Israel over this attack. Um, so things are getting, I mean, not getting, things have been awful there. Uh, they just continue to get worse. I don't, it's it's crazy that I can even say that because the things I've seen have been so horrific and the idea that it can possibly get worse is mind blowing to me, but that's the reality of the situation. So um, uh, just be my, and then Joe Biden's uh, account tweeted out some weird picture with him with like the laser eyes and said, just as, just as we um, drew it up. And I think it was meant to be like a troll about the Super Bowl because Republicans are freaking out saying that Taylor Swift is a psyop um, to get votes for Joe Biden or whatever. Um, it was not a good look <laughs> for them to be posting that as Israel was slaughtering a bunch of people. So uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. And the attacks continue. Uh, and Rafa, again, is supposed to be a refugee camp. It's where Israel has been very specifically telling people to flee for safety. Uh, and now they're attacking that as well. So uh, it's a genocide. Um, okay, don't forget, you can follow me over on the tweeters at Sarcasm Stardust. Check out the substack, mistywinston.substack.com. Write it for the guest of the day every day with links so you can find, follow, and support their work as well. And if you would like, you can shoot me an email, mistywinston at tntradio.com live guest idea show idea rant comment question whatever uh hit me up i will try to get back to you and hey for a complete list of shows and the schedule that is available on tnt uh super easy visit the website tntradio.live we serve up the latest live news and current affairs presented by a host of credible and expert commentators who can separate fact from fiction and truth from propaganda keeping you in the loop on today's news talk tnt there's a lot going on, so it's important to stay informed and up-to-date. Get ready, because here we go. At the top, 30 minutes past and when it breaks. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, Russian President Vladimir Putin been in the news quite a bit lately. His most recent claim that he is open to a peace deal with Ukraine has been flatly rejected by U.S. officials who say... The leader is not serious about ending the war. Here with the story, joining me now is TNT News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. All right, Adam. So Putin is lying. Is that what I'm getting? Well, why don't I'll, I'll give the report and then you and the listener slash viewer can decide which 
which person in the story is not serious about ending the war? Uh, spoiler alert, it's the United States. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, come on. I don't even have to report this to, to know who's not serious about ending the war. Uh, do right. We? Um, all right. This is, of course, coming from the, uh, the, the interview, the now infamous interview. Man, you know what I should have done? I should have looked up and see if the interview has its own Wikipedia page. It probably does. Oh. Um, but this, yeah, you see what I went, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the Tucker Carlson interview, you know, the whole the thing. Uh, he's a traitor to the country, I guess, because he asked Mr. Putin some questions and Mr. Putin gave some answers and everybody's just losing their minds. Uh, but Putin did say he is open to negotiation, uh, but that his counterparts in Ukraine and the United States are not. Hmm. He might be onto something there. Uh, the interview, of course, was the first time that a Western journalist has interviewed the Russian president since the conflict in Ukraine began in 2022. The Russian leader said, quote, we are willing to negotiate. And then he adds, quote, you should tell the current Ukrainian leadership to stop and come to the negotiating table, end quote. Now, of course, uh, it's not the first time that Putin has flagged the idea of a peace deal to end the Ukraine war. But Western officials have long been skeptical uh, as they Worded here in the article of his intentions, a spokesperson for the White House's National Security Council said in a media statement that there is no reason to believe that Mr. Putin was being genuine. Ah, okay. The spokesperson said, quote, both we and President Zelensky have many, I mean, have said numerous times that we believe this war will end through negotiations. Furthermore, the spokesperson says, quote, despite Mr. Putin's words, we have seen no actions to indicate he is interested in ending this war. If he was, he would pull back his forces and stop his ceaseless attacks on Ukraine. End quote. According to the spokesperson, the United States is expecting Ukraine to, quote, decide its path on negotiations, uh, end quote. Uh, so, OK, um, yeah, there's there's <laughs> I mean, Misty, did, did I set it up? Did I was I too? too hard with my spoiler alert um or am i correct i mean they're, they're literally just saying like hey the guys come out and he, he keeps saying he keeps offering peace but we don't believe him so we're not going to make any you know what the heck this is like the most childish thing i've ever heard um but what do you think it really is kind of like i know you are but what am i right like it's so stupid um and like i'm laughing but i shouldn't be because it's i mean this is a potential world war three situation obviously People are dying. Um, the country of Ukraine is being completely obliterated. Uh, it's going to be unlivable at some point with all of the um, cluster bombs and all of that stuff that we have uh, forced into the into the country. So, yeah. And first of all, by the way, um, uh, the 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 Putin interview, the Vladimir Putin interview does, in fact, have a Wikipedia page. I just checked while you were speaking there, uh, which I think is funny. But, yeah, um, it's this. It, it's so frustrating to me to see stuff like this. It's not surprising because this is obviously what you would expect out of um, a United States spoke spokesperson about Putin. Well, he said that he wants peace, but I don't believe him. Well, what does that even mean? Nobody cares what you believe. Like it doesn't, it, I, what I want is, um, what I look at is actions. And we have seen Putin come to the table a couple different times throughout the course of this past two years. Um, in an attempt to come to some sort of agreement. Um, and in fact, the eight years prior to that, he had been warning that this was going to end up occurring if the if NATO and the West continued to press on Russia. So um, uh, it's very frustrating to me to see that because this will land with a significant 
uh, percentage of the American public. They are, people are going to be like, yeah, totally. Putin doesn't want peace. He's the one. We are the ones who have sabotaged it. I don't even know how many times at this point, Adam, maybe you do. Um, I know that there was a time that the Pope got involved. There's been numerous different attempts at peace talks throughout the course of this situation. And every single time it is released or it is um, uh, discovered that it was the United States who was the one that sabotaged the effort. So I don't care. Like, it, like you can think whatever you want about Putin. Again, I'm not a fan of him. I'm not a fan of any world leader. I don't like any of them. I don't, I, I, it annoys me that I have to keep prefacing uh, my comments on this with those words saying that I don't like Putin because it, I, it, it's just, it's annoying that I have to keep qualifying my statements, but I don't like Putin. I don't like any of them. And I, there's no good guys here. And it's just very frustrating to me though, that the United States can be such an active instigator, such an active participate in this entire situation. And then uh, want to point again, wanting to point fingers at Vladimir Putin. You are the United States of America. I'm sorry. You are the moral superior of literally no one. You do not get to finger wag at anyone. If you are from the United States of America, our country causes by far the most chaos and death and destruction on planet earth it's not even close russia it doesn't even hold a candle to what the united states has done i think um there was some uh liberal twitter account earlier today that tweeted out one of those little infographics that had ukraine number of countries invaded and that was blank and then it said russia number of countries invaded it had like i don't know five or six entries on it and i'm like who wants to tell them you want to see the united states list because it's long it's a long list and that's what's so frustrating about this is that the united states thinks that it has this moral superiority to anybody that we think that we're the world's babysitter that we think we're the ones that get to dictate how countries behave how they defend themselves how they go about their business. Uh, and that's just so ridiculous on its face. And we're seeing the um, fallout from that. We're seeing the way that these countries bricks, we're seeing the way that all of the stuff is falling apart around uh, the United States empire. And it's going to come back and bite us in the ass. And I can't say that we don't deserve it. I mean, the people of the country don't, obviously, um, you know, you and I, we clearly don't deserve, we're not represented by our government. That's beyond clear. Uh, they're doing all of this stuff without our consent, without our approval, without our votes. I mean, it's just horrific. But, um, you know, we have been a bully in the world for too long. And uh, the idea that they're out here trying to pretend as if, um, you know, they, they have the capability of saying, oh, well, I know he said he wants peace, but we don't believe him. Really? <laughs> like, oh, it's just so frustrating. What do you think about it, though? I mean, obviously, Putin's lying, right? It's just that's got to be the case. Well, that's just you got to. Uh, yeah, you just got to swallow that. Uh, by the way, right. if you're having trouble you have to preface all the time that you're not you don't you're not a big no. fan of Putin. Yeah, maybe your Twitter handle has something to do with that. Um, <laughs> that, that that's not helping. Uh, but neither Fair. neither is this situation. It's not helping. Um, this might actually be the last time we're going to hear Putin uh, make this offer. Uh, because the yeah. longer this goes on, it's not like it's going to get any better. It's not like he's – they're kind of technically winning, which is kind of the uh, – I think I had a, another article from Zero Hedge who pointed that out, that it's very unlikely that he's going to keep offering negotiations up. Uh, Tucker Carlson even said so. Uh, I'm quoting yeah. him here. According to Russian media, Tucker Carlson apparently said, quote, Putin wants to get out of this war. He's not going to become more open to negotiation the longer – this goes on, end quote. So, um, you know, I've always pictured this whole conflict with the Ukraine-Russia thing as uh, a way for the West to just keep poking the Russian bear until he decides to bite. And I think that that's still the ultimate goal. Um, other, otherwise, there's still the uh, what's on the table is the destruction of Ukraine so they can build it back better. Come on, man. Yeah.
15 minute cities, y'all. That's what they want key for. Um, yeah. And it's just, uh, and yes, my, my Twitter handle is probably not very helpful, but to be fair, it, I, it is for those who don't know, it's comrade Misty is Putin's buddy. It's a joke. It's based on a Jimmy Dore bit, um, where he went to, I don't know, something and Gary Kasparov, uh, said that he was Putin's buddy and it made me laugh. Um, and I, during the time I was being called a Russian, I know like 25 times a day, despite the fact that I've born and raised in Ohio being called Russian every day. Um, so I just leaned into it and it just stuck. And that's just what my Twitter handle is. But yeah, um, I'm not Putin's buddy, just so, just so it's clear. I don't know wh why I have to say that out loud. It's pretty obvious. But um, yes, uh, it is absurd to me that, um, you know, we are continuing this thing. Obviously, I think you're right. It is all about uh, provoking Russia to um, uh, react um, they've been very patient so far. Hopefully they maintain that patience because if they do react, that is, I don't even know what that looks like. I don't, I don't know what, I don't, we don't want to know what that looks like. So, uh, we shall see. Okay. Uh, thanks for bringing us the story, Adam. We will talk to you again tomorrow. As always, hang tight. We're going to be back here on today's news talk. TNT's Abby Roberts. So this is the headline in The Guardian. Pleasure of sex is a gift from God, but avoid porn. Pope advises. What is it with religious people and sex? Isn't there anything else that's 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 more important to worry about? And this is what uh, this is what Pope Francis uh, say. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it in an Italian accent just to be even more offensive. Sexual pleasure is a gift from God, but Catholics must avoid pornography. Pope Francis has said. The Pontiff. Oh, I will tell you what though, he was all for giving people lots of pricks during 2021. Bloody hell, mRNA's fine, but just not porn. Abby Roberts on TNT. I said, could she die? And the doctor said she could. It was so scary. When I started clawing at my neck and trying to breathe, and I thought, you know, what are we going to do if I die here? <laughs> How's everyone going to go on? When someone's gravely sick or injured in the bush, they rely on the Royal Flying Doctor service. But now the Flying Doctor needs your help to fund vital medical equipment and supplies. Please search Flying Doctor online to give a regular gift of just $10. You can help equip the Flying Doctor's teams to respond to any emergency anywhere. Search Flying Doctor online. Become a part of the Royal Flying Doctor service and help save lives in the bush. Our next steps to space. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, our guest tonight is Gabriel Shipton. Gabriel is a filmmaker, activist, and brother to journalist and publisher Julian Assange. As I'm sure you've heard by now, if you've been listening to my show, given that I talk about it on a fairly regular basis, uh, the next court hearings will be taking place in London at the Royal Court of Justice on February 20th and 21st. If you are anywhere near London, please try to make it to the court. They will be gathering outside of the courthouse around 8.30 um, in the morning to uh, have speakers and things like that. If you cannot make it to London, there are sister events taking place all across the globe. Uh, you can find more information about those events at, as I always mentioned, Candles for Assange on Twitter and Facebook. Um, it's the number four, by the way, Candles for Assange, and also at freeassange.org where Stella and the crew over there um, have made a really fantastic interactive map where you can go and click on different events and find one near you. So Gabriel, thanks so much for coming back to the show. Thanks for having me back, Misty. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, obviously, we're in kind of a crunch time situation. But first of all, I obviously have to ask you, have you spoken to Julian? How is he doing? I know all of his supporters are always very concerned about his well-being. Uh, so have you spoken to him recently? Uh, I haven't spoken to him recently. I spoke to John. Uh, I spoke to my dad who spoke to him um, and his focus, you know, he's uh, focused on preparing for the appeal. Um, he's sort of um, in a deep preparation for that and and really focused on this um these this next two days hearings coming up on the 20 20th and 21st of february that you mentioned earlier yeah i'm sure that it's probably um almost a not maybe a relief but it gives him something to focus on which i think is probably good i think that that kind of not knowing when things are happening i think would be agonizing so i think having those court dates would be um just give you something to focus on so that's good i'm glad that he's doing you mentioned john your dad julian's father as well uh how's he doing how are stella and the boys doing is everybody holding up okay yeah we're all holding up you know it's a very busy time for us at the moment there's lots of um you know, lots of interest, lots of media interest from all around the world. Um, you know, they tend to focus on these court date hearings and, uh, you know, really want to get our perspective. And, uh, you know, so I think that's encouraging that, that um, you know, places like uh, Holland, you know, their public broadcaster are interested in doing things, you know, as well as plenty in Australia, plenty of media in Australia, as well as other places uh, all around the world who have a keen interest in this case. So, yeah, it's a very busy time for uh, for us, just getting our side of the story out there and, you know, doing what we do in in in, uh, in advocating for Julian. Yeah, it's like a full-time job, I'm sure, trying to combat all of the uh, propaganda and the spin and all of that stuff. I mean, I can't, I, I, I do it on a very small level. I can't imagine being inside the family trying to combat that all the time. So one of the big questions I wanted to ask you, and I've uh, asked a couple different people who are involved, Kathy Vogan, things like that, people who've been covering it for a long time. Do you know if Julian will be allowed to attend these hearings in person? I know pre, uh, prior to this, um, it's been kind of wishy-washy. Initially, he was allowed to attend, but behind a ridiculous plexiglass wall, like he was some kind of Hannibal Lecter. Um, but then uh, after COVID, it hit there he was uh, only allowed to participate via video link um do you know if he will be allowed to actually attend in person this time around yeah he's applied to attend but i, I haven't um i haven't heard whether his application has been you know approved or not um, but he's applied to attend every single one of his hearings uh, since january 2021 uh, in person and each time um the court refuses uh, to have him attend his own hearing so and they don't give a reason either. It's not they don't say, oh, it's because of COVID or, or whatever. They, um, you know, they don't give any reason of why he can't uh, attend his own hearings uh, in person. So, uh, you know, I'm not expecting them to sort of change their mind at this stage and, and let him attend his own hearing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, well, but I guess we'll see on the 20th where, you know, whether that, um, you know, he's, he's in the courts or not. But um, my feeling my gut feeling is that it'll be via video link again because they really uh you know they don't want these the the thing is is when julian's transported from the prison uh, to the courthouse it's one of the only times when the media is able to potentially get a photo of him uh and uh it's in the in in the jail bus you know that, that has windows you know the court the the photographers always run up to the window and they're like clicking the flash uh clicking the cameras and the flash right up against the window um and there's some really iconic shots of julian uh from inside those prison buses so uh i believe that the courts and the jail really don't want those images of julian uh being beamed around the world 
they don't want people uh, seeing Julian. They don't want people connecting with him as a human being. They, they, uh, it's a continuation of this effort um, to really dehumanize Julian, to make it, um, uh, to make it easier for them to do what they're doing to him through this endless court proceeding, uh, this psychological torture, as Niels Melzer, the special rapporteur on torture, uh, uh, called it. Yes, I 100% agree with that. And it's very frustrating to watch them get away with that in the way that they've been able to dehumanize him and really not even just dehumanize him, but to create this kind of comic book villain out of him uh, mm. through their various lies and smears and the propaganda and all of that stuff. And that, as you spoke about, just touched on earlier, um, and that's that's so difficult to combat against because it's over a decade now of all of these uh, smears, all of the propaganda. And it's endlessly fascinating to me the amount of time and money and resources and effort that has been spent by various different countries, not just one, several multiple countries, to destroy the character in the public image of one human being. It is, mm. um, I think that really speaks to the power of WikiLeaks and what Julian Assange has been able to accomplish. The the uh, the amount of effort and energy that they have put in into demonizing him is endlessly fascinating to me. And that's not even to touch on the, um, uh, you know, the amount of money that they spent guarding the Ecuadorian embassy and all of those things things that, uh, you know, the UC Global case where they spent all this money spying on him, things like that. Uh, just the PR campaign against him over the past decade plus, I think is just, it's, if you're interested in propaganda at all, it is endlessly fascinating to go back and watch at the, uh, watch the various different ways that they have come after him and the various different smears that they've used and leveled at him. It's everything uh, and the kitchen sink, essentially. So um, uh, it's just very frustrating to watch that. And you're right. Uh, they really want to dehumanize him. They don't want people to make that connection with Julian or with Stella or with the boys or yourself or John or any of the other various uh, friends and family that are fighting for Julian because it's uh, so much easier for them to get away with it with pe when people aren't making that connection human to human. So uh, very frustrating. But I, I I mean, I tend to agree with you. I think that they're very unlikely to let him attend uh, in person. It would be great. I know that a lot of my activist friends who will be in London um, were hoping that he would be able to attend and still hope he's able to attend because uh, they will make so much noise that he will be able to hear them. There's no question. Maybe he'll still be able to hear them via video link. I don't know. But um, uh, I know that they were very much hoping that he would be there so that they could um, express that support as loudly as humanly possible. So, yeah, okay, well, listen. I mean, yeah, oh, previous ahead. hearings I've been to, you know, you can you can hear them. You can hear the activists from inside the court and, and yeah. <laughs> uh, even you know, court proceedings, um, you know, the judge, the magistrate actually, you know, sent a message outside to the activists to, <laughs> um, you know, please yeah. be quiet because uh, they're actually interfering with the microphone system and the, and the recording systems that they use inside the court. So, um, you know, the the I mean, those cheers and those, um, you know, those people cheering for Julian who have been, um, some of them for 10, 13 years have been supporting Julian outside um, the Ecuadorian embassy or outside the prison there in Belmarsh. Um, you know, those those get through to Julian and he, and he hears those and that's really what keeps him going. You know, yeah. you speak to any political prisoner uh, around the world and they say, you know, they wouldn't be able to keep going if they didn't know uh, that there were people uh, out there fighting for him. And uh, it's not, it's important, really important to keep him going, to keep him alive, that all these actions uh, that people are doing around the world uh, are keeping him going uh, inside, keeping him fighting, uh, knowing that there are people out there who care about him and, and who are fighting uh, fighting to get him out of prison.
Yeah, hundred percent. All we need to do is give Truman a megaphone, and he's good to go. He's loud enough all by himself. So, okay, listen, we got to take a quick break and get some headlines. Hang tight. We're gonna be back here on today's news talk. Here's what's making news. TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, who is currently undergoing treatment for cancer, was hospitalized on Sunday due to symptoms of a severe bladder condition. U.S. officials have dismissed Russian President Vladimir Putin's recent claim of being open to a peace deal with Ukraine, asserting he is not genuinely interested in ending the conflict. The New Zealand Labour Party, initially supportive of joining the second pillar of the AUKUS pact, now seems to be retracting its stance, with key party spokespeople describing the move as an overly aggressive approach towards Beijing. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, we are here joined by Gabriel Shipton, who is brother to journalist and publisher and founder of WikiLeaks, Julian Assange. We're talking about the upcoming court hearings um, that are going to be taking place in London at the Royal Court of Justice on February 20th and 21st. Um, again, if you are anywhere near and can make it out, I think uh, people are going to be uh, congregating outside of the courthouse at around 8.30 a.m. There will be speakers and things like that. Um, but it's really just uh, in, in a hope to show a massive show of support um, so that we can send a message that uh, we're not going to let them do do this um, uh, in silence, because I think that they uh, were kind of hoping that they could do this kind of behind closed doors for the most part. So um, uh, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, there's a couple different things going on in the lead up to uh, the Day X protest. One of those is the London premiere of The Trust Fall, which is a, a film directed by Kim Staten. Um, he's been on the show. He's actually going to be on the show again this week. I think I said on Thursday. Sorry, my days all blur together. Um, but there's going to be the London premiere, which is uh, in the days leading up to that on Sunday, the 18th um, at 1 p.m at Rio Cinemas uh, in Dalston in London. Um, and that, again, sponsored by TNT. Thank you, Today's News Talk, for sponsoring that and for supporting that. Um, that'll really help. Uh, but it, uh, will you be attending the London premiere or will you be uh, attending the Day X protests on the 20th and tw 21st in London? Uh, I won't be attending the premiere. I arrive in London on the 19th. We uh, were doing um, some protests here in Australia. Um, we're joining with the Free Palestine protests on the 18th uh, at Melbourne, uh, at the Melbourne uh, Library. Um, and John will be speaking there and we'll have quite a presence uh, there at, at that protest in uh, the, the Melbourne for Palestine. People have invited us there in solidarity with Julian's cause. Uh, there will also be protests in Melbourne outside the UK consulate and also around Australia. So doing things in Australia and then we're going to be, uh, John and I will fly into London on the 19th and be you know, at the court on the 20th and the 21st. Uh, yeah, so we'll be there on those days. So it's supposed to be a public hearing. Do you have any idea what exactly that means? How many people are going to be allowed in? Are journalists going to be allowed in? Because I know that that's always been a very tricky situation. Um, in particular, uh, you know, there were all of the hearings where it was um, almost impossible for journalists to deal with that situation. They weren't allowed to film or record or anything like that. They were desperately trying to live tweet these court hearings, uh, which they did a, a fantastic job of doing. But do you know uh, what the situation is in terms of how public this is actually going to be? Well, uh, the court's taking a credit, you know, the court, it's up to the courts really, and they're giving out accreditations to journalists who can join. Uh, I, I, I have no doubt there will be journalists inside uh, inside the hearing. Um, the last time there was a hearing, there was actually an overflow room 
uh, that was full of journalists as well. But, um, you know, the journalists in the overflow room would complain that, you know, they couldn't, couldn't actually hear what was going on because um, of the speaker system and the microphone system, uh, you know, was not, uh, you know, not fully working. Uh, so uh, I think it will be a public hearing, but, you know, this is, these hearings, uh, you know, they're controlled by the people who have been persecuting uh, Julian for the last year, 13 or, or, or so years. I mean, Julian sat in front of 20, I think there will be up to 28 judges that he's been before in the United Kingdom. Uh, and most of the time they rule against him. Uh, they've, he's only won once uh, out of all those times that he's been sitting before these judges. So this is the system uh, that is used to persecute Julian, to keep him in a maximum security prison where he's not serving a sentence. Uh, and to really send that example, this is the court system that has been used to send that example to everyone around the world. Uh, but if you do this sort of thing, if you tell the truth, uh, if you tell the truth uh, that, that uh, you can end up in jail, uh, you know, without, without trial. Yes. Yes. And that's really the crux of the case. I think that that often gets overlooked that this, I mean, not to diminish the fight for Julian himself and his life, obviously that is important. It's a worthwhile cause. That should be enough on its own. But I think a lot of people miss the big picture aspect of this, that this isn't just about Julian, nor does it stop with Julian. This is um, kind of the first in a long line of dominoes that they're hoping to knock down in an effort to take away our right to free speech, our right to free press, our right to know, our right to address, um, you know, power and the crimes and criminality that they're responsible for, our right to address corruption, our right to even know about that corruption, uh, our right to know about the way that wars are conducted in our names with our money. I mean, this is, it really is so much bigger than I think um, uh, most people are able to comprehend that it's, um, uh, it's a little daunting, actually. The, uh, I mean, when I sit and think about, um, you know, the importance of how this goes in terms of human history, this really is, in my opinion, um, and I, you know, people can agree or disagree. I think that this is really kind of a turning point moment. Um, it's kind of a fork in the road for humanity. And um, it really this, in my opinion, we can't afford to lose this one. Obviously, I know you feel that way. It's your brother. Um, but I think uh, just in general, the, the the broader implications of this are so dire that I just don't I don't know that people uh, even recognize how severe it is. But yeah, I think um, it's incredibly simple, really. You yeah, see, you yes. know, like if, if we want our children, if we want our children to grow up in a world where where they can say the truth. Uh, you know, then, then we have to free Julian Assange. It's simple as that. Julian has been persecuted for, 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 for sharing truthful information. You know, if we look down at our kids or if we wanted to tell the truth about something uh, and we were fearful of, you know, being locked in prison for it, is that a world that we really want to live in? I, I doubt there are many people out there who say, you know, that we shouldn't be able to tell the truth about about anything. I mean, if you look at even at your personal relationships, uh, you know, being truthful in those relationships uh, is always more beneficial than 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 lying. Um, you can see that relationships, personal relationships within families, uh, if if there are secrets, if there are lies, they decay over time, and, and that's exactly what's happening to our society if we can't tell the truth uh, about what's going on. 
Yes, 100%. And I have two kids and I um when they were much younger, they're teenagers now, but when they were much younger, I used to always say two things. Use your words and tell the truth. And if we can't do those two things, I mean, and I think Stefania Marizzi has often said this as well that she doesn't want to live in a world in a society where um speaking the truth and exposing corruption and crimes and all of that is um is illegal. I mean, they're literally trying to um criminalize telling the truth. That is mind-blowing to say out loud, but that's the reality of the situation. Uh, Julian and WikiLeaks have a 100% record of accuracy. They've never had to retract a single word that they've ever published. And further, and I'm uh, ranting a bit here, I'm sorry, uh, but it's not WikiLeaks. What WikiLeaks provides is um, it makes journalism as much of a science as humanly possible. And I don't mean Fauci science. I mean real science where it is 100% verifiable and authenticated source documentation. It's not conjecture. There's no opinion. Um, there's no talking heads yelling at each other on some Sunday morning news show. It's just the facts in black and white here. Read it. You do with it what you will. And I think that that is such an invaluable service. So, um, okay, listen, we got to take another quick break, but hang tight. We're going to be back here on TNT. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. My company, weatherbell.com, already has a hurricane season from hell predicted for the United States next year. We're expecting three to five major landfalling hurricanes. We parallel or correlate next year to 2005, 2017, 2020. Now, we've had this out since December, been speculating on what could happen with this upcoming hurricane season since last hurricane season. A lot of this is because of the climate hypothesis I've developed. And it's interesting, I'm starting to see people tiptoe toward what my company, weatherbell.com, has had out. I do think it will turn into a stampede. The current El Nino is going to collapse rapidly in the spring, reverse to a La Nina. The main development region of the Atlantic is still very, very warm, except this year, it's not as warm in the North Atlantic. Now, what does that mean? Well, whenever it's not as warm in the North Atlantic and it's warmer near the equator, it means that the heat gets to incubate, as I call it, or bunch up in the areas that are the main development region. Last year, we saw storms developing and just going up north in the Atlantic and staying away from the United States. I don't believe that's the case this year. In addition, in looking at forecasted rainfall patterns for the upcoming hurricane season, we look at the Pacific and we see that from the Indian Ocean into the Western Pacific, it looks like phase two and three of the Madden Julian oscillation. All the major hurricanes that have hit the United States that have developed within two days of the U.S. coast since 2017 have hit in phase two or three of the Madden Julian oscillation. So here we are in February, reviewing our forecast from December and we'll see who's right. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you got. My character Shazam knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going? To fight crime. Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a teen. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. You're with Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. TNT. All right, we are here joined by Gabriel Shipton, brother of Julian Assange, uh, who is the founder of WikiLeaks and is facing uh, his next two court hearings on the 20th and 21st of February in London. Um, and, uh, this is kind of, 
uh, last chance, I guess. Gabriel, would you describe it as that? It's the last chance to avoid extradition from uh, the UK to the US? Yeah, if Julian if Julian loses this uh, in the UK courts, then he has no other no other options uh, in in the courts over in the UK. Uh, he can apply to the U European Court of Human Rights, which uh, I think he's got an application ready to go. Uh, but there's no guarantees in that. You know, it's um, the UK has sort of been, you know, sort of trying to unwind itself from that uh, in the past. And we know that um, the US has actually had planes on the tarmac uh, in previous extradition cases that have involved Julian. Uh, so they've been, you know, making these types of moves to really get ready to to have everything in place that, you know, if Julian uh, loses, uh, that he has whisked away as quickly quickly as possible uh, to the United States. Yeah. I mean, basically, as soon as they can get the extra extradition order signed, I think that that's really uh, the end game for him there. Do you know how long? I'm not super familiar. I'm more familiar than I uh, ever thought I would be with the UK <laughs> legal system, uh, thanks to this case. But I'm not familiar with um, uh, uh, how will the decision be made on the 21st? Will this just be where they're hearing it and then there will be a delay of time where they're making a decision? How does that work? Yeah, so it's up to the judge's discretion, uh, you know, when they'll announce the decision. And, uh, you know, we've seen it from the past, you know, as I said before, this is the system that is persecuting Julian, keeping him hostage, um, the, the system that is sending this message to everyone, all these journalists and people around the world that, you know, telling the truth, you know, is a crime. So they always work in a way that benefits uh, their actions. For instance, uh, this hearing date was announced, you know, on the 20th of December uh, at the end of last year, which was, you know, you're going into Christmas, all journalists are on holidays, they, they really try to announce these things at a time uh, that really suits them when they can uh, bury these sorts of things. So they'll do that again. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they'll uh, be attempting to, you know, make the announcement work for them uh, and work uh, to persecute, to keep persecuting Julian. Yeah, no question about it. They'll try to, uh, we've spoken about this, um, myself and the people I organize with, that it's very likely that they're going to try to announce this, like a very end of the day, um, or when people are sleeping in the United States, um, and he'll be whisked off and he'll be here before anybody is even aware of it. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, I know that there is, uh, you can go to, um, I think it's don't extradite Um, and you can sign up for the day X. Um, I guess it's like a, a alert mailing list type of a thing. You can uh, put in your phone number, also your email. Um, and that is just because these things we don't ever, it's very rare that we have an actual date. Uh, an actual, hey, this is scheduled to happen on this, at this date, at this time, this decision is going to be announced at this date, at this time. Um, that'll just give us a way that we can kind of send out um, uh, the call that, hey, things are happening. This is happening. We need to go now. So um, uh, if you're interested in uh, getting involved with that and making sure that you have that information as it comes out, I would certainly sign up for those day X alerts. Um, so, uh, and you, and you, I think you and I have talked about this before. Um, I I don't think that there's really any chance that we're going to get any actual justice from the legal system. I think that that is a, a long lost cause. I think that if anything stops this, it is going to take mass public pressure. It is going to take people in the streets. And we're seeing that even that sometimes isn't effective. We're seeing the way that uh, a literal genocide is taking place in Gaza right now. And there are millions of people in the streets and the people in power do not care. But I think that if we have any chance whatsoever of halting this thing, of stopping this thing, that is... 
that is what it's going to take. It's going to take a lot of noise. It's going to take a lot of pressure from people. Um, uh, do you think that there's any uh, any kind of hope inside the court system? Do you think that there's any way that that's going to be an avenue that Julian can take to actually um, uh, avoid extradition? Or do you also think that it's going to take people power? It's going to take people uh, really coming forward uh, strong and loud and saying that, you know, it, this this cannot continue. Yeah, well, we've always said that this is a political, you know, it's a political case uh, and that the court is, you know, serving the political interests around this case that have been pushing this, uh, you know, back from, you go back to, you know, Mike Pompeo and him pushing this prosecution wholeheartedly during the Trump administration. And this is just a flow on from that. So it really is a political case. Uh, and that means the solution or, or the solution to Julian's freedom is a political a political solution and you know how do things change in politics and uh you know it's from people power it's from you know people not voting for these different people people advocating or protesting or doing all these sorts of things and we've seen that work you know quite well uh you know in the fight to free julian uh you know the political uh grouping in the congress is growing uh, and has been growing for the last few years, um, political grouping calling for Julian's freedom. You know, it's a bipartisan group, almost equal number now of um, Republicans and, and Democrats who, have, who are calling on the Biden administration uh, to drop this. So we just keep working, uh, keep building those groups, keep building that political pressure uh, and then, you know, wielding it in a way that, uh, you know, is effective, um, for example, in Australia, uh, the 70 parliamentarians who, you know, almost a third of the parliament who, who have called for Julian's freedom. Uh, and then, uh, you know, using that support in the Australian parliament to take that uh, into Washington and to lobby in Washington. So that we did that uh, last year with a group of, uh, I think I spoke to you about it already, but a delegation that went from Australia to, to advocate in Washington. And so using that political power from, from around the world uh, to really um, advocate and and create more energy uh, in Washington, where these decisions uh, are made. Yes, and that uh, delegation from Australia that came here, I think, was unbelievably effective. Um, it was after that that we started to see the movement, the bipartisan movement. There was initially, I think, a letter, maybe two, um, you know, and I'm not a big fan of those strongly worded letters, but it was something, right? I think that if you would have told me four years ago that we would have a bipartisan group of people in Congress. Um, publicly supporting Julian Assange and his release. And if you would have told me that we had somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene signing on to the same letter as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to uh, support Julian Assange, I would have laughed. But that's the situation that we're in now. And it's gone further than even letters at this point. We now have actual legislation um, uh, sitting in the House currently. It's House Resolution 934. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it is a bipartisan piece of legislation. And I think that that, that really came out of the delegation the uh, from Australia. Australia that came uh, and 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 held various different meetings with people in Congress um, in an effort to uh, to kind of get that support. Unbelievably effective, Gabriel. That was amazing. Yeah, and I'll be back in Washington, uh, you know, from the twenty seventh, uh, continuing the lobbying effort there. Um, during that letter, you know, during uh, as you said that that letter, that the bipartisan letter. I think I knocked thirty five, you know, thirty five doors in a couple of days in Congress. So I'll be back there doing that same thing. Uh, you know, uh, after this hearing in February and March. So really pushing uh, and renewing those efforts in Congress to, you know, get more people on. I hope we can get 20, 20 Congress people on this resolution and really just growing that, 
growing that base. We've got a real beachhead in Congress now with some very supportive Congress people on both sides of the aisle. And, um, you know, we're going to use that to really leverage, uh, leverage that to increase the number of Congress people who are supporting Julian's freedom and calling for this to come to an end because it's, uh, you know, it's against press freedom, it's against the First Amendment. And, and the more people we talk to, uh, and the more time passes, uh, you know, they see what it's what's it's at stake here. And, uh, and they want to push for this to be dropped. Yes, and it is against press freedom. It is, is against free speech, and also just the numerous ways that his individual human rights have been violated over the course of the past thirteen plus years is disgusting. That it is, I mean, and it's really just all happened out in broad daylight with everybody there to witness. But um, just so everybody knows, House Resolution nine thirty four. This is something you yourself can take action on if you're listening or watching this right now. Um, call your uh, Congress people would probably be best now your House member now because uh, it is currently just a, a bill, a House Resolution bill. Um, it, it, but it, also call your senators too. It doesn't hurt. It, and listen, phone calls only take a couple of minutes. Almost always, at least in my experience, you get um, a, a voicemail a request or some type of thing. You just leave a message. Uh, every once in a while, you'll get an intern or a person or whatever, and they just very kindly take your message. Um, and you don't have to be mean. You don't have to be rude. Just, hey, my name is Misty Winston. I'm from Ohio. I'm your constituent. Um, I'm you know, desperately concerned about Julian Assange and the implications in terms of press freedom and free speech. Um, I'm asking you to sign on to and support House Resolution 934. It's really that simple. It only takes a couple of minutes. The phone number for the switchboard. So this is just you call, you tell them where you live, and they'll send you off in the right direction to your uh, your specific representative. That is 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121. And you can use that phone number to contact both your House members and your senators. So you can just call back that number uh, and just have them point you in the right direction. Or obviously, you can look up your own specific representatives. Um, uh, this is for, well, obviously, this is for the Washington, D.C. offices that they have. They also have offices back in your home the uh, uh, hometown home area um so call both uh and be kind of a thorn in their side that's uh, uh continuing to put that pressure on and make it known that uh, there is a mass amount of support for this is um it's it, that's huge and that's something that everybody can do so uh it's definitely worthwhile to make those phone calls um or send emails or write tweets or whatever it is i mean all of those things are very beneficial um so obviously gabriel we also had recently the um sentencing of joshua schulte who was the alleged vault. I guess I can stop saying alleged the vault seven whistleblower. Um, do you think that that when that, when he was sentenced to 40 years, I was a little concerned. Do you think that that show will have any bearing on uh, Julian's case in any way? Uh, I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not too well across, um, you know, what the, the Schulte sentencing, I think there was some uh, things that came in under the Patriot Act that could uh, affect Julian's sentencing uh, that are very, very concerning. Uh, these all of life provisions from the from the Patriot Act. Um, so that's like no parole terms, uh, which could affect Julian's um, uh, could affect Julian's uh, sentencing. Uh, so I think and, and I think Kevin Gostola wrote about this. Uh, you know, he's wrote it, written about it in much more detail than and I can sort of express, so I recommend anybody who's interested in reading about that, go and read, uh, you know, Kevin's, uh, you know, the dissenter, I think it's called, and, and read yes. one of his articles. Um, and he goes into quite quite a lot of detail about, uh, you know, the all of life and no parole periods and uh, and the history of that through to the Chelsea Manning, uh, you know, the Chelsea Manning hearings where they, 
um, you know, tried to use those same uh, techniques, were, but were unable to, uh, but, but have sort of revitalized it in the Schulter case. So I think that could affect uh, affect the outcome for Julian. Um, and I think the prison, also the prison conditions that, you know, uh, Schulter was kept under SAMS yes. uh, and those prison conditions that he described uh, and that his legal representatives described is, is what awaits, uh, you know, Julian if if he is um if he is extradited and so i think those are you know things to pay attention to and um in that shelter in the shelter case but yeah it's very concerning uh, obviously i mean the, the i think there was already a hung jury in that case and yes um, they really don't you know, have much on they him. retried it um so yeah. uh, i mean it's a it's yeah um i yeah, it's a it's a very concerning case, obviously, uh, and those particularly those elements, those sort of new elements of sentencing that they've they've brought into the equation. Yes, and you just mentioned Kevin Gastola. Um, I know I mentioned him very frequently on this show. Um, if you have not uh, checked him out, you should. He uh, does write or run the Dissenter. Um, he is somebody that covers whistleblowers and things like that um, all the time. And he is currently in the middle of a series called Countdown to Day X. I think he's done three, maybe so far three write-ups. Um, but he's just going uh, back down through the case. And there's really, um, I mean, obviously there are many people who've been covering this case, but Kevin's really been covering it since before day one, since the Chelsea Manning situation. Um, and he's done great work. He also has a book out, uh, by the way, part of the Holy Trinity that I mention all the time. There's a book by Professor Nils Melzer, um, former UN Special Rapporteur on Torture. There's a book by Stefania Marizzi, who is an Italian journalist who's been engaged in a multi-year FOIA battle with several different countries trying to get information about how the Assange case is being handled behind the scenes. And then obviously Kevin Gastola um, has a book out as well. And each of the three books really address, approach the case from a very different perspective. So I would highly recommend reading all three. It is um, just an unbelievable wealth of information. And again, the, the countdown to day X um, write-ups that Kevin is doing as well over at the dissenter are definitely worth checking out. Um, so, okay. Uh, obviously if people can make it to the courthouse, um, do that, make phone calls, send emails. If you can't make it to London, um, there are, I think over 60 events currently on the, uh, on the roster so far in like 14 different countries. Um, so find an event near you if you can't make it to London. Um, what else should people be doing right now, Gabriel? I'm always um, trying to find uh, uh, actions, things that people can actually do. What else would you suggest? Yeah, I, I think you've got to, you know, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. Join those, join those actions coming up. Um, you know, there's, there'll be a worldwide focus on those, on those two days of the hearing. Um, find an action near you, go out, you know, participate, talk to the people there. You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of, I mean, a lot of, you know, the Assange supporters are all my friends now. So they're, they're a great bunch of people and, and wherever you go around the world, you know, we're welcomed with open arms by um, amazing people at these, at these events. So yeah, go down and meet some of them and, um, you know, stand in solidarity with Julian. Uh, the resolution that uh, support that resolution with your Congress people, of course. Um, and yeah, just sign petitions, keep signing petitions. I know uh, everyone signed a lot of them, but, um, you know, we'll keep signing them because because they help as well, especially, uh, you know, in the political work that we're doing. It's very useful to be able to, uh, you know, present these to politicians about how many people are actually supporting and calling for Julian's freedom. 
Yes. And again, that's something else that's um, a pretty low effort. It's not going to take you a ton of time or no research. Um, And I often have people say, oh, I can't get involved. I'm not an expert. I don't, you don't have to be an expert to uh, fight for your own free speech and press freedom. It's not necessary. Um, They've tried to make this case very complicated, but as uh, Gabriel said earlier, it's very simple. This is really simple. This is a journalist being uh, persecuted for exposing the truth. That's really what it boils down to. And everybody should be against that. So Gabriel, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're very busy. I appreciate you coming back on the show. Um, And you're welcome back, of course, anytime. Everybody, please uh, go follow Gabriel. Go check out the Day X protests. Uh, Do what you can with what you got. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with uh, Danny Shaw. And as Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now. And don't go anywhere. Timothy Shea right after this on TNT.